0: Blurred reality. How is our online life affecting our minds, bodies and hearts and ability to enjoy being alive? And what is the difference between what happens online and what happens in the real world around us? Oliver was engaged to Alice. Their wedding was planned to happen in eight months and all seemed to be going wonderfully well. But one day, Oliver received a Facebook message from an ex from many, many years back and they began to chat on Facebook. It started out just an occasional little chat, how are you doing here and there? But soon they were chatting back and forth, back and forth, for weeks straight, multiple times a day. The Facebook chat soon became texting and even talking on the phone. All the while, the wedding was getting closer and closer. But Oliver told himself it was okay, because nothing had actually happened. They were just chatting after all. But he kept his connection secret from Alice, his future wife, just in case she got upset and maybe had some wrong ideas. But one day, Oliver got lazy and left his phone just laying around. Alice found it and saw the texts. It was obvious to her that this was not just a normal friendship. Something had gone too far. So She confronted Oliver about it and he protested that really she's just a friend and they hadn't done anything but Alice wasn't happy. She didn't want to marry a man who was emotionally attached to another woman and having a virtual affair. The next day she cancelled their engagement and left him. Oliver lost his marriage He also lost his ex who turned out wasn't even serious about having a new relationship and was just bored and enjoyed the attention and flirting with him. Oliver, sadly, is not alone. It turns out these online relationships and romances are all the craze these days. And so at what point does the distinction between our lives And our minds and the online world blur and lose its edges. We all have thoughts in our mind, we have dreams, we have strange ideas in our heads and most of us, let's be honest, would prefer that other people didn't know what we were thinking. Can you imagine a world (laughs) if everyone knew each other's minds right away? Some of our darker thoughts and weird dreams are the raw material of our subconscious. It's unformed ideas. And as human beings, we have the capacity to discern between what to do and what to resist. We have the capacity to resist urges instead of acting out every whim and desire. And this is a very important thing for human beings. Can you imagine what the world would be like if everyone's, any desire they had was acted out? If someone felt angry and they attacked the person next door, if someone felt like having sex with someone and they raped them there and then? Yeah, we would be living in a pretty chaotic world. It's our ability to discern, is this ultimately gonna be a good idea and then choose our best course of action? that allows us to live in a reasonably civilized society. In fact, famous studies have shown that children who were able to resist immediate gratification for longer turned out to be far more successful in their lives, happier, more wealthy, more successful in every area with better relationships later on. And so there is a definite relationship between being able to master our inner world and act in accordance with our higher values and choose what is the best course of action, and being happy. On the flip side, those of us who are not able to control our behavior and our actions and our impulses tend to be more miserable and end up in a lot darker, more shocking situations. Now, technology has kind of given us a situation where the edges have become blurred between what is real and what is in our minds. So if someone hates another person and wishes they were dead in their mind, they haven't at that point, just by thinking about it in their own head, committed a crime. Yeah, it's not a crime to hate someone in your head, yeah? It might be karmically, you're gonna get something coming back to you, but it's not a legal crime. People are not gonna put you in jail because they can't tell what you're thinking, at least at this point. Now, if you were to write out, if someone was to write out the hatred that they had for that person online, that's probably also not a crime, yeah? Because there's endless comments and trolls and people hating politicians and random other people, and it's not a crime to do that but it could lead to charges if it was a plan and if it was very very violent you could get sued for it potentially and if you're hating certain people you might be added to a watch list on the government's watch list and they might start keeping track of you you know that's how they try and catch terrorists yeah so what you do online the comments you leave, they are all being tracked and some of them can lead to possible lawsuits and some of them can lead to being tracked by the government, but most of the time nothing much will actually happen. However, if you were to write a list of your plan of how exactly you intend to kill someone in great detail, then you start getting closer and closer into possible legal action against you. Because the intent to kill is a step forward from just having a thought in your head. In the future, it's no doubt possible to create video games where people are killing other people in real life or in virtual reality. That's probably going to happen at some point because people are into that sort of thing. But in that case, nothing really has happened in real life either, right? So the difference between the mind and the virtual world starts to become blurred a little bit. Now, if we take this a step further, if someone was to act out their intentions of killing someone and they actually murdered the person they hate and then they were caught, they would no doubt go to jail, so the distinctions between thoughts, thinking about something, intention, sharing it online and actually committing the act are subtle, yeah, he has a subtle gradation, but they're very significant. The consequences are more and more severe. So acting it out in real life is the most severe form of something, and having a thought in your mind is the least severe And then in between those two things is a kind of gradient of severity. So how important are the things that happen online? Let's take another example. The same is with romance, with affairs, with sexual fantasies. Many people have fantasies, sexual fantasies in their mind, but they don't act upon them. And now the internet allows people to connect in a virtual space where it's easy to project onto someone you don't really know all these wonderful things. This person's so sexy, so wonderful, so loving, whatever it is. And now there are more and more virtual romances where people are you know, falling in love, deeply in love with someone that they don't even know. And in some cases, the person that you're supposedly in love with isn't even a real person because they have fake pictures, right? So is the virtual romance real? If someone cheats on their partner online, did they really cheat or is it just like having thoughts in their head? Right, what is the difference here? Because it's possible to be sexually aroused by thoughts in our own minds. It's also possible to be aroused by real people in the world and online through images, videos, messages. Yeah, the whole pornography industry is arousing people online, yeah? So online and offline can have a similar impact on our physiology. So if we're bullied online, it can can create the fear the terror, the same as it might be with a real person. An email, if you get an email from a lawyer or from a person who you know you have a weird relationship with, it can put us into a negative spin all day. Receiving negative comments from a post that you posted on, on social media can make you feel invalidated and miserable or you can get a little dopamine kick and feel good. Lots of people liked your post. So the things we do online can affect our physiology and make us actually physically feel different. And experts in the field of sports psychology have discovered that imagining practicing a certain activity makes the same parts of the brain fire as actually doing the activity. Right, so if someone imagines throwing a basketball into a hoop, it activates the same parts of the brain as if there would be if they actually had the ball in their hand and were practicing it or if they were playing tennis, right? The same muscles, so it fires the thing. So the brain can't tell the difference between imagined reality in our mind and the real world. And so it also can't tell the difference between online and offline. So imagine yourself cutting a nice big juicy lemon in half, a big juicy lemon, and you smell the fragrance of the lemon. Now pick up the lemon, put it towards your mouth and squeeze the lemon and let all that juice come into your mouth, ooh, and feel it going down your throat, that tart taste of lemon. Yeah, do you feel that? Yeah, I can. I feel like a little bit sort of woozy just uh, thinking about that. How does that happen? Yeah, if you think about someone attacking you, or you think about someone massaging your head, or if you think about lying in a nice comfy bed, or if you feel like flying in the air, or you feel like jet skiing. Yeah, imagine going on a boat in the ocean we can imagine things and we have the sensation of them even just with a second so our own perception between the inner world of our mind and the outer world is already blurred it's already blurred there's a blurred line between what we think in our mind and what happens in the world outside Why is it that there's a very little difference between the inside world and the outside world? Well, the reason is because we experience the 3D universe via our senses into our mind. So what does that mean? It means that right now, the world you see, the world you hear, the world you are smelling and tasting and feeling is happening in your mind if you point at the moon if you look at the moon or you look at the Sun where is the Sun it's not millions of miles away it's in your mind in your mind because you experience the Sun your experience of the Sun of the moon of the trees is in your mind that's where we experience it in ourselves So our experience of our home is in our mind, our experience of pain is in our mind, pleasure is in our mind. We don't all agree on the same things in life because our subjective experience in our own mind is different. So for example, a certain car or a piece of music or an ocean view occurs within each of us. So we can look at a car, we look at the ocean Look at, listen to a piece of music, touch a fabric, feel the texture. The red I see, when I look at the color red, might not be the same red that you see. We both call it red, but is it the same red? What I consider a tasty meal might be different from what you consider a tasty meal. What is the right amount of salt in a meal might be different from... What I think, what you think, what your neighbor thinks. Yeah, that's we're all having a subjective experience of reality. So, in a sense, we are already living inside our own virtual world right now, wandering through the universe, having our own personal experience of it. (laughs) And we'll talk more about this later on because it's a big topic. right, what is the nature of reality? So in the context of the online world, what happens when someone is bullied online? Is it different from offline bullying? Do online bullies not really mean what they say? Or does it affect the person being bullied differently if it's online or offline? A few years ago, a 17-year-old boy, who we'll call Daniel, was sent nasty text messages from a bully in his school, and the bully said things like, you are nothing, you don't deserve to exist, why don't you go kill yourself? And we could argue that perhaps the bully didn't really mean what he said, and he was only venting his anger, and he didn't really expect him to do anything, but Daniel didn't think so. And after months and months of this abuse and deep pain, one day he decided to kill himself. Before getting off the bus, he told the bus driver, I'm going to kill myself. I won't be here tomorrow. And the driver simply said, I'll see you tomorrow, Daniel. But Daniel went to his room and he texts the bully back and he said i'm going to kill myself and the bully said good better off without you but before killing himself he called his uncle who tried to calm him down and immediately his uncle called his daniel's parents there was no answer so he left a message and by the time the parents got home daniel was dead. He shot himself in the head. Our experience of the online world occurs in our mind and it can fire the same parts of our brain as if we are living it in real life. And some people have a better command on their minds than others, and they can distance themselves from the online world more effectively than others. But most people have not developed these skills of detachment and haven't thought about this. And so what happens to most people, especially younger kids, is extremely significant. The online world is real, and it can either help or harm us. Although, are the effects equal? Are the positive effects as positive and the negative effects as negative? Or is it that one is more powerful than the other? Well, think about this for a moment. Can the online world be as equally positive as it is negative? Or is it more positive or more negative overall? Think about comments on social media for example if you post something online and you get 100 likes or loves or whatever it is and they and you get 30 positive comments you might feel you know a little bit better about yourself you might even be happy for a moment and get a little dopamine kick and feel yeah this is great hooray and that's what these companies design to do to give you a little kick to keep you coming back for more but also think about this, what happens when you get one or two negative comments or thumbs down or an angry face? Where does your attention go? If you have 30 good comments and two or three or one or two bad ones and a few down, down thumbs, where does your attention go? For most people, statistically speaking, majority of people we'll forget about all their positive feedback and obsess about the few people who didn't like it. That's where their energy goes. We're more afraid of what we can lose than benefits of what we can gain. There's a psychological principle that we obsess on things we don't like. Same thing with with reviews. If you put a course out there and you get loads of five-star reviews and then you get one one one-star review, where does your attention go? If you're shopping online and you're trying to decide on a product, you might go to the bottom of the page, look at the reviews and check out all the one-star reviews. Why do people want to see all these negative things? When terrorists post images of people's heads being chopped off with a knife, they know people will be affected by it. Why? Because negativity, violence, hate speech, rape, slander, gossip, and shocking events. It's the negative things that make the front page news. And newspapers and online newspapers and social media, they know very clearly that they're gonna get more readership and attention by sharing negative things than positive ones. That's why there's no massively successful positive news channels, they just aren't. There's countless negative news, but there's how many, can you even think of a extremely successful long-term positive news? I can't think of anything, I've, done, I've even seen it. I might have seen you know, one or two attempts to make positive news, but they don't tend to last and they have very, very small readership compared to these mainstream news channels. So newspapers know very clearly that negative stuff is gonna get way more attention than positivity. Imagine these two headlines. Headline number one, new furniture shop open. Headline number two, 35 dead in terror attack. Yeah, there's no question. We are drawn to the extreme things that create a visceral f- effect. And the online world is full of it, yeah? Think about what is the online world. The amount of pornography, for example, is you've seen. I heard, <laughs> did some research into this and I was shocked at the, how, what is the internet made of? It's made of tons and tons of porn, it's made of movies, it's made of gossip, nonsense, it's packed. There's far more negativity on the internet than there is positive posts and messages, way more. I'm not sure the exact number, but it's nowhere near 50-50. And even if it was 50-50, people's attention would still be drawn to the negativity to a much higher degree, just like the news. All right, so while you personally might not choose to spend your time watching violent movies and playing violent video games and watching porn and checking out the news and obsessing with uh, trolling other people and all that stuff, we are affected by the ads, the comments, the posts, etc., that could appear in your newsfeed because when you scroll down a newsfeed. You don't know what you're gonna get next when you go on the news, you don't know what you're gonna see. You just don't know what you're gonna get when you go on the internet. That's one of the reasons that it's addictive is because we like new things. We are psychologically designed to be interested in new stuff. So you go on there to find out what's new, but you don't know what you're gonna see. And a lot of it, frankly, is negative. So what's the effect of all this, right? This blurred reality, so Thinking thoughts is one thing, seeing stuff online is another thing, and acting in the real world is a third thing. As we've discovered, the difference between what we think in our head and what we see online and what we do in the world is not as clear cut as it appears, and in fact, our brain and our mind has a hard time telling the difference. What's the effect of it all? Well, frankly, we don't really know the complete long-term effect of exposing ourselves to all this information on a regular basis but we do know that everything we see offline or online or in our own mind does have some sort of effect on us so if you watch a movie and then you go to sleep and then you dream about the movie clearly it went in and if we want to feel better about our lives then we are wise to avoid engaging with anything that's going to harm our well-being yeah some people refuse to watch any movies because they realize that it gives them nightmares and they don't want to do it but what happens is we become desensitized and we don't get we don't realize the effect it's having over time so does the online exposure really affect us that much or am i just exaggerating are we kind of causing an unnecessary fuss here well, advertisers would prefer us to think that ads don't work. The ads, ad companies would much prefer you think that ads don't affect you, that TV ads don't affect you, that ads you see on Facebook and social media don't affect you. That's what they want you to think. Yeah, governments and companies want you to think that it doesn't affect you negatively. That's what they would prefer you to think about but they know how powerful they are and if they didn't work, they wouldn't spend billions of dollars designing these things and sending out all these wonderful ads. They know that they work because they make tons of money. Trillions of dollars are made. There's over a hundred years of scientific research on the effect of advertising and it works extremely well if done in the right way. Terrorists know full well the effect of their videos. They make front page news when they do a terror attack and when they post videos out, it freaks everyone out and people get obsessed about it. Right? They also know that Facebook messages and online conversations have the potential to radicalize people and can even inspire them to give up their lives, travel to another country and take part in cutting people's heads off or blowing themselves up as a suicide bomber. So if messaging back and forth, yeah, Facebook Messenger, Skype, can lead someone to leave their life, cut people's heads off and kill themselves, then clearly, (laughs) <laughs> these tools can be used for extreme purposes right that's powerful such as the power of words and images online that's an extreme example but this is actually happening and has been happening for a long time And what's going to happen if you watch all those horrific images surely if you just scroll on your, your newsfeed or you watch a movie now and again it's not going to affect you that much It's just a video on a screen, after all. Well, Facebook has a department that deals with flagged videos and images. So if someone sees a picture they don't like, they can flag it, and then it goes to Facebook's team. And this means that it's someone's job to spend all day looking at images of people's heads being cut off or child porn. Yeah, I read an article about this. There's a real department when some people, they that's all they do. Heads cut off, heads cut off, porn, rape all day long. How do these people who are doing this sleep at night? It turns out they don't sleep very well at all. They need counseling and psychological help and therapy and they're not getting enough of it from Facebook. And it turns out that we can actually suffer post-traumatic stress disorder from almost anything in life that is experienced by us as traumatic. So we can experience PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder not just by engaging in warfare because post-traumatic stress disorder has often been considered something that happens when soldiers go to war and see all the death and shooting and they come back and they get treated for it. it turns out that we can get the same symptoms as these soldiers without going to war ourselves. And according to the best-selling author Anthony Williams who wrote Medical Media, most of us are traumatized and do suffer from pain post-traumatic stress disorder as it is now. yeah. There's millions of people, according to him, who actually are suffering from this condition because of being exposed to things in their life or even online nowadays. And the reason this happens is because lack of glucose in our brain. If we had sufficient brain chemistry, we'd be able to handle situations a lot easier but most of us have a glucose deficiency. Why is that? Again, it comes back to weaponized food in this case, not weaponized tech, weaponized food. The food companies have designed the food. If you go into the supermarket, you see all all the packages of food, all the junk food. It's designed to be extremely addictive. They have scientists who are basically taste addiction experts that make it so tasty and addictive using certain chemicals, combinations of chemicals, that people can't handle coming back for more and more and more. And if you eat that food again and again and again, your brain is not wired up right anymore because you're not getting the nutrition you need. And then when you encounter stressful situations, it has a very, very negative effect, more than it would have been if your brain chemistry was working right. Now we don't have time to talk about that in detail now, but if you are interested, check out Medical Medium, the book, and you'll learn more about that and how you can get your brain, have the right goodies in your brain so you can handle things better. So watching extreme videos, or dealing with the endless negative comments online or just seeing those comments or being bullied or just being overwhelmed from too much going on, having to handle all these endless emails and messages and people on open loops constantly. This wears us down and makes it very difficult for us to be able to function at our normal level, let alone our highest level, right? It messes with our capacity to actually be fully present and enjoy life. And as we spend more and more time online and as we absorb various kinds of information and we're plugged into the bottomless pit that is the internet, how are we gonna feel? What will happen to our capacity to think for ourselves in this blurred reality? How are we gonna be influenced by the messages we receive? The thousands of messages, whether it's actual messages from people, or whether it's messages from marketers, or whether it's messages in our feed about the news, how are we gonna handle all that stuff? Because it all goes straight into the subconscious. How are we gonna to relate to each other in real life? What's gonna to happen to our mind and our dreams and our needs? We don't know at this point what is going to happen. And my concern is that the more time we are engaged in this activity, the more we are going to be affected and the more we're going to get caught up in it. Because here's here's how we end up making decisions. I'm just going to go through the process. Why do we do what we do? The more we have information about something right the more we're exposed to anything whether it's information about terrorism or it's information about people or situations or government the more we are exposed to things the more we think about them we think about things we process things that we're exposed to right so you go online you're exposed to the stuff the more you think about stuff in your own mind the more likely we are to share it online because everyone shares online okay So you get exposed to it, then you think about it, and then you're probably wanting to share it. And since people share online, that's where you'll share it. Now, here's the shocking part. The more we share things online, the more we are actually going to engage in that in the future, and the more we're likely to act it out in real life that's how advertising works so for example if you see an advert for a film the movie that's just come out and you see it again and again you see it here you see it there and you see this ad going again and again again and again or you see an ad for some something you're thinking of buying on on amazon you see it here you see it there you see it here you see on facebook you see everywhere and then you start thinking about it yeah maybe i should buy that thing maybe i should see that film the more you think about it, the more you see it, the more you're likely to act out, as in buy that thing, All right. Same thing with chemical addictions. If someone smokes a cigarette once, no big deal. If they smoke it again and again and again, they start getting addicted, yeah? someone does anything, it gradually builds. And some of the things are beneficial, like if you start learning about healthy food and you see it online and you think about it, talk about it, spend time with it, you end probably end up going to the supermarket and buying different stuff and eating different food. But the problem is, most of the stuff online is not healthy and not good for us. So we end up absorbing a lot of nonsense. So this blurred reality is a real thing. So here's our real life. We're physically here, right? Wandering around, having the experience. We then go online and our brain can't tell the difference between online and offline. It just absorbs all that information. We then think about that information, start getting processing with it, start thinking about it, churning about it. And then we act on the basis of that information. And a lot of that information, by the way, is nonsense or it's false information. And the way that the algorithms, I don't know if you know what that means, algorithms are the computer programming that decides what you should see and what you shouldn't see on Facebook, for example, that's how they use it. So if you click on certain things on Facebook, they'll show you more of those things. Algorithms are designed to give you more of what you're wanting to see. So if you like left-wing politics and you you know click on that they'll show you more left-wing if you like right-wing politics they'll show you more of that so they show you more of what your bias is problem with that is that you don't get to see the other side of the picture at all they they don't they avoid showing you the other side so people start thinking about things from a very wonky one perspective And then they act on the basis. So like people might go on a demonstration against something based on false information or based on one-sided information. If they had access to the other information, they might not go to the protest or they might protest differently or they might find out that what they thought was a lie and that something else was going on. So our physical reality is being directly influenced by the things that we see online and the online world is becoming more and more potent more weaponized more addictive and so for example it's affecting priorities so for example a mother this is very common now mothers obviously have phones like everyone else right And so a mother might get a phone, get her iPhone and she starts checking it and it's all, you know, fine. Then she gets playing games on it and talking to people and going on social media and posting pictures and all the rest of it. And as the time increases on her phone, the time decreases with her children. And so the children start getting the message that their mother doesn't really care about them and is much more interested in this device in her hand than she is with them one mother was sitting at a bus stop and with her little son and she's just picked up checked her phone just to see what's going on then she heard crack and she looked around and her son was bleeding to death under a van true story happened in china same thing can happen many other places, right? Simple thing has very profound effects in the real world. Most children are not dead under a van, but they're losing their parents. They're getting traumatized, they're getting bad messages, they're getting bad programming that's gonna lead them to be phone addicts in the future. Because when children see the most important thing to their mother is the phone, then they want the phone, then they think the phone must be more important than anything else. What's that going to do to our generation of kids? So you might be wondering, how can we claim back some control over ourselves and be less impacted by the online world? When I teach meditation, I've been teaching meditation for about 20 years, many people want to know, how can i control my mind they want to know what can i do to control my mind and avoid negative thinking this is often the main issue when i say what do you want oh, my mind's out of control monkey mind Ah, i can't think i can't meditate i don't know what to do with my mind and they tell me that they have thoughts from the day coming up and they're spinning out about something they saw on online or they're just thinking too much about something, obsessing about it, and they don't know how to refocus themselves into a more receptive and controlled, peaceful state. And what I tell people is that you can't stop the first thought from entering your mind, all right? because the first thought comes from the subconscious mind because everything we experience, whether it's online or offline, it goes straight into our subconscious mind. Subconscious is like a massive memory bank. So everything we experience goes inside in some place, right? Most of it is kind of hidden underneath and you don't remember it, but a lot it all goes in anyway. Then the subconscious mind spews things up into the conscious mind and that's when we start noticing it. So you can't stop that first thought because it just appears. But what you can do is change the direction of your thoughts after that first thought. So if, for example, someone saw an image of something online that they didn't like and they start seeing that picture again and again, or if they had a bad comment, or something bad happened in the day, and they're stressing about it, that first thought is going to come up because it was an emotionally strong feeling that they had, and it comes back up again. What tends to happen is people go down a vicious spiral, spinning out of control. They they see it, and they oh, I don't want to see that, and it goes round and round and round. Don't think about a pink elephant. Don't think about a pink elephant, and it, you, you can't help it. If you try not to think about something, it goes more and more and more. Yeah. Don't think about a pink elephant, no pink elephants. Do not think about any pink elephants flying in the sky. Yeah, what were you thinking about? So trying to stop thinking about thoughts doesn't work. So the first thought's gonna come up and what you do is you can say, all right, I accept that that thought has appeared. And now, I'm gonna choose to think about this other thing instead. So often people have negative thoughts about themselves. I'm no good, I hate myself, I hate my life, why I'm so stupid. There's lots of horrible thinking going on in the mind. And so if someone carries on thinking negative thoughts, it can lead them to depression or even suicide just like we talked about with online bullying. In an extreme case, someone takes that personally and spins it around in their head and then they decide to kill themselves. Most people are not gonna kill themselves, but they might just feel miserable, which is still terrible. Yeah, Living a miserable life is a horrible way to live. So what we can do is we can say, I can't stop that first thought coming up, but what I can do is I can say, even though I've just thought that first thought about hating myself, I recognize it's there, I'm gonna choose to love and appreciate myself. Yeah, you refocus the thinking. I'm gonna choose to think what is good about my life? What is good about my life? What can I be grateful for? What have I done that is good? I remember when I did this thing that was wonderful and I did this thing and I remember this nice experience and I remember this nice thing that someone said to me and I remember when I felt good when I was doing this. And you refocus the attention on these much more empowered thoughts. And then you might think, I'm a peaceful soul, I'm a powerful soul, I'm a peaceful soul, I'm an embodiment of peace. And as someone starts creating powerful new thoughts in their mind, it shifts the focus, it shifts the attention, it shifts the feelings over time. So through the practice of letting go and refocusing the energy many miracles can happen. And then as we engage in positive thoughts, we can begin to feel more empowered and happy, yeah? And to be able to think our own thoughts, we need time to do it. And the problem with social media and the internet is that we don't have time, everyone's reacting constantly. So you can't think thoughts, just reacting. Another problem with it, because we're talking about this blurred reality, right, is that social media and Facebook are actually designing mind reading capacities. And if it sounds scary, it is scary. They're designing tools so that instead of you having to actually you know get out your phone and, and send a message, you can actually post what you're thinking with your mind. They're, they're going full speed ahead. They have a special building building eight, Facebook building eight where they're developing this stuff, right? Now, what's gonna happen if people start just spewing out any old thought that's in their mind, that's uninformed, that hasn't been considered? Yeah, if we don't think and consider and stop and tune into what's important before we share, what's gonna happen? Yeah, we need time to form powerful thoughts. We need time to decide what's important for us and that takes discipline, it takes patience. It requires time to do nothing and stop. So we have to claim back time to engage our minds and decide what's important for us. But social media and technology promotes the opposite of deep thought and considered actions, and it promotes a culture of impulsive sharing and shallow thinking because most people are too busy posting selfies and sharing whatever nonsense has entered their mind recently about something that they don't even know about in a kind of mindless, impulsive you know, orgy of randomness, which is basically what the newsfeed is, and that is celebrated and expected. So it's almost like social media and the internet has blurred the difference between what is going on in our mind, what is going on in the world, and there's this middle ground, this big middle ground that's getting more and more elaborate with becoming virtual reality, augmented reality where you superimpose digital images on the virtual world and people just sharing their with their thoughts whatever comes up in their mind. It's like blending of the mind space, but not blending of the highest of the best of people's minds, but blending of the worst and the lowest and the most random things that enter people's minds. So it's almost like we're reaching this mind bending, blurred version of the world where the mind, the unformed mind is now projected out onto the world. And people share things online that they would never share in person or out on a street corner or at a party. Yeah, Most people would not say the same stuff to other people that they say online. And yet despite all these endless comments and images, they're not real, but they're becoming the new real. They are real inside our subjective version of reality. So we're allowing all sorts of dark things to become part of the world of our own mind by looking at it on our computers and our screens and our gadgets. So the virtual world is fast becoming the real world. And as more people share their virtual world, the richer and more significant the virtual world experience becomes because there's now billions of people engaging with this platform. And then when you add augmented reality and virtual reality, we are creating a real world right here. By the way, people want to, the tech companies, they want to put contact lenses in your eye so that instead of having a phone, you're looking through a filter and seeing this stuff directly in your eye. Yeah, I'm not making this up by the way. This is what they actually say themselves. So how is this gonna affect us and our perception of the world around us? If we live in a world where people's, any thoughts appear on the screen, where we're looking through virtual contact lenses that project the world, the virtual world, on top of this world, where we're living in virtual reality, How is this going to affect our sense of reality? What is real? What is virtual? What are the consequences of what we do in the virtual world? How does our virtual behavior affect our feelings and affect the world around us? Are we thinking our own thoughts now Or are we just consuming the thoughts of others through our screens? What do you think?